Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Power Hour. I am your host, Miracle Jones. Thank you all so much for joining us this evening. We have a great program for you all. We know there's been a lot happening all across the globe, and a lot of people are really asking questions about what can we do during these unprecedented times uh, to protect ourselves, to stabilize our housing, to, to focus on our health to show up for community members. And so we're very excited. We have a great panel for you all. We're going to be talking about what you need to know about monkeypox. There's a lot of information. And so we know that the um, virus is unfortunately spreading and anyone can get impacted by it. So one of the organizations that were first to diagnose it in the Allegheny County Central um, Outreach Wellness. So we have one of the medical practitioners coming to talk to you and give you um, some tips, some guidance, hopefully some information that makes you feel a little bit more secure and, and, and safe and how to combat this pandemic. And then, you know, we just went through the Pennsylvania budget season. And as a result, there has been some really cool legislation that was passed to really help people struggling right now um, stay in their homes, afford their homes, and keep their homes with the whole Home Repair Act. And so we have two of the leading sponsors going to be joining us at the bottom of the segment. But we know a lot of stuff is happening all across Pennsylvania. We still are, uh, you know, going through the 2020 election, but hopefully a lot of that information is, and the, those questions are soon going to be resolved with this upcoming session. We know that there are a couple of lawsuits also going out, um, and so we have not yet certified the, re the election results of this primary election of this year. So again, you know, this is the time to be patient. This is the time to organize and to, to galvanize and just to get ready for this uh, long-awaited November um, election battle. If you've been paying attention, you know, um, the senatorial uh, candidates have been going back and forth um, all weekend long on social media, and that would be uh, Oz and John Fetterman have been really um, in a, a Twitter war um, since, you know, they both realized they were going to be uh, the designee. And so there's been conversations about, you know, mental health, about um, what, how do we utilize social media to galvanize the vote and to share information as well as build coalitions. Um, and so that's going to be something that people are really going to be paying attention to um, in Pennsylvania. But another interesting thing that's happening is this week, um, city council, uh, apologies, county council is convening a special hearing tomorrow um, around 5 p.m. to talk about if they're going to be able to have enough votes to override the legislative veto that came when the county executive vetoed two pieces of legislation. The legislation, number one, would ban future fracking in the local parts and give county oversight into appointments made by the county executive. Those bills passed by a majority of 11 yay votes, and that would override the 10 votes needed for a veto. And so tomorrow we will see if this legislation actually will be put in, uh, you know, into account or if it will fail the veto. So people are um, going to be at the city county building tomorrow. Um, as this battle rages on. And again, this is a conversation about, you know, the balance of power. There's a lot of things that are happening um, here and on the southwestern part of the state, and a lot of changes are occurring. And so city council um, works with the mayor, county council works with the county executive here in um, Allegheny County. So it's a little bit um, different than some other jurisdictions, and that is why we're having a, another um, 
another hearing. And this is a special hearing because you have 30 days from the veto to call a special vote um, and override the veto. In addition, while you know a lot of our uh, congressional uh, people are in uh, uh, not in session right now, a lot of people are still pushing votes and are still uh, pushing ways to change. And we're going to be seeing a lot more executive privilege and um, executive vetoes going through because people are galvanizing for the November election. And, you know, just today, um, President Biden announced that he had put in place a reduction of the gas tax to um, help uh, reduce some of the hurt people are feeling at the pump because, you know, with the ongoing war in Ukraine um, and the fight with Russia, there has been somewhat of an impact with oil production. And so gas prices are increasing. And so today, President Biden announced that he was going to put this kind of like gas tax freeze um, in place to hopefully reduce some of, of the gas pricing um, and put out places where gas is under $4. But again, with rising costs and inflation, we're still going to be seeing, you know, the economic impacts of these um, elections and crises ongoing. And so it's going to make for a very interesting November election. Um, as a reminder, um, here in Pennsylvania, you must be registered to vote in order uh, to participate in the Pennsylvania elections. We do not have same day voting um, and so if you are new to Pennsylvania, if you have a name change, if you are recently um, released, you need to make sure you are registered to vote. And the voting site has changed. It's vote.pa.gov. Um, it used to be the vote spot, but in order to mainstream all the information and to increase more election integrity, um, the website is going to be vote.pa.gov. Gov. You can check your voter registration. You can update your voter registration. You can also register to vote by mail. Um, right now, we still have the right and the ability to vote by mail. Um, no excuse absentee voting um, is still in effect here in Pennsylvania. It is also, you know, still being challenged legally, but right now it is still in effect here in Pennsylvania. And so you can make sure you are registered to vote. Um, and we talked earlier about, you know, monkeypox coming down. We talked about these ongoing pandemics. And you also remind you, the World Health Organization um, and the CDC are the two premier organizations where you can go for medical guidance, as well as uh, your local practitioners. Well, we understand that not everyone has health insurance, and so not everyone is going to have a personal medical provider. So you can always reach out to those individuals. A really cool thing that has happened over the weekend talking about mental health is this um, new streamlined mental health number called 988. Instead of doing the suicide prevention hotline, you can call 988 in case you need to talk to a mental health professional um, if you are in times of crisis. There has been some a little bit of a controversy about the rollout. And so for to be very clear, um, while you are calling to speak to mental health providers, there's still a possibility, depending on the jurisdiction um, and the call you're putting in, that you may still get a, a police or state response. So again, we know that a lot of people are very happy about this um, help and resource being expanded nationwide, but we just want to let you know that there is still a possibility. And just to remind there are so many support and resources out there. So if you or someone um, is in need of help, that resource is available to you. There's organizations that such as Adaptive Behavioral Services, Still Smiling, a Center for Relational Change um, that are local that can also help refer you as well as Beam.org, which is the Black Emotional uh, Collective um, that's in California. They still have a lot of resources to you. So please do not let anything be a barrier um, to prevent you from reaching out uh, for help. And as we are moving uh, through, there's a lot of support and resources coming down from mental health, as well as coming down 
for violence prevention, you know, here um, in Pittsburgh, there's been a conversation about what to do to uh, decrease the level of violence, what to do to invest in communities, and there's always ongoing conversations. And so uh, today, the mayor's office uh, released some job positions in uh, accordance with helping find investments um, for the city, as well as helping uh, to support uh, those who are doing um, anti-violence work. So I'll always remember uh, to reach out to those entities because there's so much happening and there's so much that needs to be done, um, but there's a lot of opportunities and innovations um, coming uh, from that. So one of the things that we're very happy and excited about with CARES organization is that we are, will be out in the community hosting pop-up events, voter registration events, and talking with people and hiring people directly um, in order to combat uh, violence within various communities. So please make sure you're reaching out, following us on social media, as well as visiting our website, which is onehoodpower.org in order to find the up-to-date information. Um, and, and as we go on, again, it's very important people understand there's a lot of stuff still happening. I know people hear that, you know, uh, your elected officials are in recess. However, there is still bills being promoted. There is still executive actions that can be taken. And so while people do want to enjoy the summer vacation and relax before uh, school starts back um, a little over a month, it's very important that you're still reaching out to your elected officials still trying to get on their calendar to have meetings and conversations about uh, things that are happening and things that are of concern to you and to your family members. And so a lot of things that have been of concern, especially in the past couple of weeks, is um, this presence of this new virus um, called monkeypox. Unfortunately, um, a lot of misinformation and disinformation um, at the very onset of this virus made a lot of people have false understandings and find kind of false hope that they were not going to be impacted by this virus. But as the days go by, we've been able to learn a lot more about monkeypox. We've been able to see a lot more people getting impacted. I believe the um, CDC said in some places, the numbers doubled and tripled with positive cases and people have taken to social media to talk about how they haven't been able to find tests or get tested. There has been conversations around the equity of the vaccine and, and who's getting access to the vaccine and who's being made priority and who's not. And so there's ongoing conversations about monkeypox. And so we wanted to uh, start this program to talk with Dr. Marvin um, about what he's seeing um, as a practitioner, what is some of the latest information, and what are some of the things that you need to know in um, order to engage and combat this virus. So we want to welcome to the program our very first guest, um, affectionately known in the community as Dr. M from uh, Central Outreach Wellness. Welcome to the program, uh, Dr. Marvin McGowan. Thank you for your invitation. <laughs> Glad to be back with uh, Winhead Media again. Uh, my name is Dr. Marvin McGowan. I'm an osteopathic physician, also certified in functional medicine. And to just give you a little bit of taste of what Central Outreach Wellness does, um, this clinic, uh, our series, our, our system of clinics was founded by Dr. Stacy Lane. The clinic primarily provides services for the LGBTQIA community and also disenfranchised members of our community. We provide services for uh, HIV, hepatitis C, and STI um, screening and treatment. We provide um, family medicine. I want to back up just one second. In addition to the oral uh, treatments for HIV, we also provide the um, cabinuva injection. Um, we provide transgender health care, which includes gender-affirming hormonal therapy um, for our transgender and non-binary patients, and also referrals for gender-affirming surgeries and laser hair removement. Uh, we, uh, I'm sorry, removal. Uh, we do HIV post-exposure prophylaxis, known as PrEP. And also we uh, provide three forms of pre-exposure prophylaxis in the forms of the oral Truvada and the SCOVI and also the um, Apertude injection. 
We have a prep to meet program, which provides in-home HIV and STI testing and HIV prophylaxis delivered directly to your door. We provide mental health services, drug and alcohol services, case management. Uh, we have community outreach programs for patients who are homeless, incarcerated, or sex workers, and those in rehabilitation. We have massage therapy services. We also have several mobile clinics, which goes to neighborhoods all over uh, Western PA and uh, Central Eastern Ohio. And we have our own pharmacy services. Uh, currently, we have five clinics in operation, one on the North Shore in Aliquippa, Washington, Erie, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And then next month, we'll be opening up our next and sixth clinic in Columbus, Ohio. That is a, a lot of stuff that you are doing. Um, and in addition to all of the things that you just mentioned, your clinic was one of the first clinics to announce um, and test for uh, monkeypox, you know, in the area. Can you just give us a little background? Like, what is uh, monkeypox? Well, monkeypox is a disease which is caused by the monkeypox virus. It's very similar to smallpox, but it's not as severe and not as deadly. Um, the first case of monkeypox was found in the Congo region in Africa in 1970. And prior monkeypox outbreaks have occurred in central Western Africa, where it's endemic. Um, these endemics are set at, uh, um, divided into two uh, systems, so to speak, or two groups, which are called clades. There's the central clade and there's the Western clade. You can also think of this as just two different types of strains of the monkeypox virus. The one that has become more pandemic is the Western version of the virus, which is not as severe compared to the central, which happens to be a little bit more deadly. Um, to date, there's been about 1,800 cases of monkeypox uh, found in the United States. Um, there's been 43 cases in Pennsylvania. And I think there's at least been now nine cases of monkeypox here in Pittsburgh. Um, patients coming in, uh, they usually present with symptoms which may include fever, headache, uh, muscle aches, and backache. Swollen lymph nodes is one of the hallmarks of this disease. Um, they may have chills and exhaustion. Um, there's a prodromal state that occurs uh, after the patient may have a fever in which that, that's when the rash appears. So one of the um, difficulties with the monkeypox is that some of the more prominent symptoms may be delayed for a couple of days. And the symptoms may appear on the genitals, the hands and feet, around the anus, they may appear on the face and inside the mouth. And these look like simple blisters and pimples. Thank you for that. Um, and besides that, are have there been any other symptoms that people should look for? No, those are the primary symptoms. The biggest problem, again, is that some of the more predominant symptoms, again, with the, the rash in particular, may be delayed and also um, during some of the initial um, testing phases, patients may have false negative results. So it may take a three or four more days before those results even become positive. So um, that has been the most difficult uh, aspect of the monkeypox virus uh, itself in terms of people knowing when they actually really need to come in and get tested. And so can you talk a little bit about uh, what is the test like and where can people go to get tests? Ooh, the test is very difficult. There's very limited um, spaces where you can, or places where you can go right now. I know at Central Outreach Wellness Center, you can come um, to our clinic. You do need to call in advance before you come to the clinic. Um, keep in mind, this is a highly contagious uh, virus and that we need to be prepared to receive our patients and get them tested. Um, you can also obtain an order from your primary care doctor to go to a local Quest lab. And again, you must have that order. You cannot walk into a Quest lab and request this test. And again, you must also um, call and schedule an appointment in advance for testing. You can also contact the Allegheny County Health Center for additional test sites. However, I've not really heard of a lot of um, widespread uh, testing sites available here in Pennsylvania at this time. I mean, it seems like we're starting off just like we did with the COVID-19 um, virus in which, you know, Central Outreach is one of the leaders and starting the testing uh, for the virus. And then eventually 
um, the other medical facilities and Pittsburgh finally caught on and caught up. Yeah. And so um, I know a lot of people have just been like very curious about when should they go to get tested and um, kind of like the COVID-19 virus, should you only go and set up an appointment if you feel that you've come into contact with someone with monkeypox or if you're um, exhibiting symptoms, meaning do you need to add a monkeypox test to your regular uh, standard doctoral um, exams? Not, well, not for a standard doctor exam. Again, in this case, we're looking for uh, people who think they may have been exposed or may have been in areas which are uh, being, um, you know, that are blowing up with the virus right now, like the big cities like New York City, you've been in Los Angeles. Um, if you've been to any type of, you know, concerts or, you know, being very candid, if you've been to like orgies or bathhouses or uh, in contact with just loud crowds in which again the monk uh, the, the monkey pox may have been present um, the primary thing is if you do suspect that you may have come in contact come into contact with monkey pox is to get connected with a healthcare provider allow them to take that history and then the healthcare provider will decide whether or not you need you need you really need to be tested. Yes, thank you for that. Um, speaking, you know, talk about concerts. Can you talk about some of the ways that monkeypox is spread? Um, a lot of people first thought this was only like a STI, and now people are saying they've gotten monkeypox, you know, outside of that. So, you just talk a little bit about how this virus is spread. Well, the virus is primarily spread from person to person contact. However, you can still come in contact with, you know, linens and utensils and cups and other objects like that may have been in surfaces, which may be infected by the virus. Okay. So again, it may be spread by direct contact with the rash or scabs or body fluids. Again, it may be spread through respiratory secretions during prolonged face-to-face -face contact. Keep in mind, this is not, when they talk about prolonged face-to-face -face contact, they're talking about being probably within six feet of someone for like an excess of six hours. So this is not like you're around someone for 20 minutes or you're going to get it. Um, and then in these days, again, of the COVID um, uh, pandemic, again, most people should be wearing face masks. I recommend that you still wear a face mask. Okay. It can be spread to an intimate contact, uh, may be acquired through touching infected clothing and linens. Again, in pregnant women, the virus may be spread to the, uh, spread to the placenta. You can get it from infected animals or being by a scratch or bitten by an infected animal or consuming products for, uh, uh, you know, consuming products, you know, such as eating uh, meat from an infected animal. Um, it can also be spread from the time the symptoms start uh, until the, and, and until the rash is fully healed and the skin is completely clear. And again, this illness may last for two to four weeks. But keep in mind that people who are asymptomatic cannot spread the virus, okay? And then um, the acquisition, again, uh, of the virus through semen or vaginal secretions is not known at this time. Thank you. And you mentioned a little bit about linens and, and touching uh, surfaces. Um, so does this mean that, like, how should people be cleaning their surfaces? What happens if people are, like, in communal facilities, such as laundry mats? Is there any guidance right now about how to engage those areas? Yes, the CDC has put out gu guidelines on how to dis disinfect and how to um, wash your clothes essentially in your home. Uh, it's pretty, <laughs> it's quite a bit. First of all, it talks about EPA uh, uh, registered disinfectants. Okay, so again, we're back to alcohol. Um, again, you need to be, you know, if you have the virus, you need to be cleaning all the surfaces that you touch. You can use 60% or greater alcohol for cleaning these surfaces. In terms of linens in the house, because that's where the question started, uh, if you have someone in the house who has monkeypox, you have to designate uh, who's going to do their laundry when. Preferably the people who do not have the monkeypox will, you know, do their laundry first. And then the person with the infected linen will do theirs afterwards. Then again, you probably want to have to go and disinfect the machine so that uh, the, the virus is not there. Keep in mind, this is not like the COVID-19 vaccine in which 
the virus disappears off services like, you know, within a day or so. This virus can actually last up on services up to in excess of even two weeks. And so people must be very diligent uh, and conscious of things that they're touching, where they're going, and also be very um, almost obsessive with their cleaning. Again, this is a highly contagious virus. Yeah, thank you for that. You're talking about the contagion. What is the quarantine period? So we, um, what is that like? Because we know when COVID happened, they said, you know, be isolated, hopefully up to two weeks. We know some people have said that it took them three to four weeks for the for monkeypox to clear. Um, not necessarily uh, just because of HIPAA from your own observations, but what are some of the guidance around like quarantining and making sure you're not coming into contact with other individuals? Well, the first thing, again, if you have contracted um, the monkey pox, you're to remain in quarantine until all the lesions have completely healed over and you have clear skin for the most part and no other symptoms. There's other been guidelines, for instance, in other countries that state if you've been exposed to the monkey pox virus, you ought to remain in quarantine for 21 days. Um, and then, yeah, so those are the primary recommendations. Perfect. And I know um, it hasn't been like rolled out nationwide, but can you talk a little bit about the vaccine and um, what that what, what that is supposed to be looking like in the coming weeks and months? Oh, vaccines. There are currently two vaccines. There's the Genios vaccine and there's an ACAM 2000 vaccine. The only one that we are administering right now is the Genios vaccine. This vaccine comes in two varieties. There's an oral version and there's an IV version. The oral version of the medications, there's a, you take the medication, I believe, twice daily or for 14 days in a row. And then the IV version of the uh, vaccine uh, for those who can't tolerate oral therapy comes in the form of an IV, which is administered over six hours every 12 hours for 14 days. Um, the ACAM 2000 vaccine is a bit more cumbersome to administer at this time because there's a stricter criteria for use. There's different medical conditions that are prohibitive for that vaccine to be given to, be given to, uh, to the general population. There's also a live vaccine um, that can um, increase itself, so to speak. And so it's really not recommended for immunocompromised patients. I don't, I don't think it's uh, recommended for patients who are pregnant. And I think there's some cardiovascular risk and a few more risk factors that um, patients should not receive that vaccine whatsoever. Thank you um, so much for that. I know um, it's a lot going on and you're, you're very busy. But um, as we wrap, where can people find uh, uh, more guidance and information um, about the virus? The best place right now is the CDC website. It is, there is a lot of information here regarding this virus because of this high contagion. Um, you can also um, contact your local health centers um, for a little bit of for information and guidance. You can contact the WHO, um, a World Health Organization website for information. Uh, and that, and you can also contact Central Outreach and we'll be um, very glad to give you guidance regarding um, the virus itself. Perfect. Thank you so very much. I hope um, people are watching this really like help because there's been a lot of like questions and this is a lot of things that people have asked. So thank you so much, Dr. M, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a ton of more information. I don't think I even got through half of the questions that we have planned for tonight. But one thing I really want to say before I go is especially for the people in our black community again we're another situation in which we have a virus that's becoming that has become pandemic okay just like hiv we thought we weren't uh we thought we were somewhat immune to it only to become uh disproportionately affected by hiv the same thing happened with COVID. again we thought we were immune and we came disproportionately uh affected by COVID 19 also so again um please um do some research go online read these websites get an understanding what this virus is all about so that we do not um, become, again, disproportionately affected by yet another pandemic. 
Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. And, you know, and so as we were talking about like monkeypox, you hear them say, you know, the quarantine period is like 21 days. Um, and so you need to have a home in order to quarantine. And so it's very important as we talk about healthcare, um, housing, any type of justice to understand in order for people to be safe, people must have a home. And so our next two guests really are, are doing everything they can to make sure people have homes, people can stay and remain in their homes and have the support and the resources that they need to uh, maintain and upkeep their homes. And this was a part of legislation called the Whole Homes Repair um, Act. And so we want to welcome to um, our, uh, our Power Hour, our next two guests, um, State Senator Nikhil Saval and State Representative Sarah Inamarada. Hello and welcome to the program. Hey. Hi. Good to see you. Yeah. Um, thank you both so much uh, for joining us. So congratulations. You got this legislation passed at a time where I think it's been one of the most contentious uh, times of here in like Pennsylvania legislative history. Um, so coming to you first, Senator, can you just talk a little bit about what this process was like, you know, uh, leading this um, initiative? So um, first of all, thank you. It's really great to be here with um, you and, and with Rep and Alvarado, um, you know, Together, we led the, the, the charge for whole home repairs in um, in the Pennsylvania Senate and House. Um, you know, basically, I feel like this is an issue that, you know, is held in common across Pennsylvania. I mean, I represent Philadelphia, uh, and I can speak to the community to represent Allegheny County. But um, what we have found is that an issue that is un not unique to our to uh, municipalities or to counties. It's a it's across boundaries. Everywhere in the Commonwealth, you have people in rural, urban, and suburban areas. You have homes that are in dire need of repair. You have, uh, in addition, programs that people have trouble accessing, and then you have a lack of a skilled workforce. That um, you know, you lot people, there are lots of jobs in this field, but not a lot of people going through the training programs to get the job. And this bill works on all those things. And we found that, you know, all virtually all, I mean, all of our Democratic colleagues and many Republican colleagues saw the importance of this legislation and, you know, wanted to sign on because they needed this in their own community. So this was an issue. And I think there are many issues like this, but housing is a big one um, that cuts across party lines and across boundaries. And so, you know, I, I felt like, um, in both chambers, we were able to bring people on who we might disagree with on, on a number of different issues, but this one was was felt intuitive, and I think people thought that there were there were lots of ways into it. There were lots of ways that they saw their own districts or their own communities in this piece of legislation. Thank you so much, and Representative. You know, you're from Southwestern Pennsylvania. We get a lot of, you know, a, a lot of conversations about like what we bring to the table. Can you talk about what that process was like for you? So in Harrisburg, mostly, um, I think you know everything that Senator Saval said, but also like it's safe to say we're both unapologetically progressive, and trying to be progressive in the General Assembly is not. Uh, not necessarily an easy uh, identity to carry um, or an easy agenda to try to push. Um, but in addition to Senator Saval saying, like, we took an issue we cared about deeply, we knew would impact all corners of this Commonwealth, we also were opportunistic in the way that um, <clears throat> everyone was talking about affordable housing, everyone's talking about a housing crisis. It's really hard. To not open a news site and see a headline talking about the rising cost of housing and what that means and all of the the downstream effects of the lack of affordable housing will cause neighborhoods so 
it was a problem that has been clearly defined. And I think a lot of our colleagues, even across the aisle understood. And then we also had an unprecedented surplus in our state where we were, ha we had billions of dollars from the feds, um, but also in revenue that we collected. So we, the time was right to really put a proposal forward um, that spoke the language of Republicans, but really uh, was true to both of our values and the work that we've been doing around housing justice, you know, here in Pittsburgh and Allegheny County, and then all the way across in Philadelphia. Perfect. And staying with you, representatives, can you just talk a little bit about um, what the bill does and when should people possibly be seeing um, an ability to get some of the reimbursements or assistance with the weatherization process? Sure. So the bill does three things. So the first one is the grants to actually repair homes. So individuals who are 80% or below area median income and own their home um, would be able to access monies up to $50,000 for home repairs. Um, and then it's also available to small mom and pop landlords um, if they meet very strict requirements in meeting affordability standards or accepting housing choice vouchers, which is really important because most of our housing choice vouchers get returned. Um, the second thing it does is allow for the development of workforce programs to train up a workforce that can do um, home repair and construction as well as weatherization. Um, and then third, it allows for part of that money to be used for wraparound services. So if there's an individual who applies for this fund, there will be the infrastructure available from our nonprofit um, and our social service sector to say, okay, well, what else do you need to apply for? Um, maybe you also qualify for the weatherization assistance program and really can hold that person's hand through the process and making sure they're making the most out of all of the different um, programs that exist. Um, right now, this is the first step in um, many steps that need to happen before this program can become a reality. Uh, right now, we've, we've passed the bill, we've secured the money, $125 million um, for the state. Uh, it'll go to Department of Community and Economic Development for them to define the program and set some regulations. Um, once they have that program drafted, it will be um, a competitive grant process. So there will be have, there'll have to be um, an entity from the county that would apply. Um, and then once they receive that money, they would be able to start to deploy the program. So we are looking at, you know, a few, a few more steps um, before uh, money starts hitting the ground and construction can start. Um, but, you know, we're looking forward to that and we're keeping the community engaged and informed as that process continues. Uh, thank you so much for that. And you mentioned um, being progressives. I'm coming to you, Senator. How do you see uh, this bill um, keeping people like in their homes and making sure housing is still like affordable within community? So you know, I I think that the most affordable home um, is often the home that you already live in, the home that you own, or the or the apartment that you rent, and we have a lot of people for whom those affordable forms of housing start to become progressively less affordable. So it can become less affordable for someone who is elderly and living on a fixed income because they need, you know, to make adapt modifications to their home for to meet changing physical needs. They want to be able to age in place. It can be unaffordable to uh, a, a tenant or to a small landlord because for example, a landlord maybe wants to keep rents low in a, in a, in a, a small, for an apartment or a tenant wants to be able to stay in an apartment that has a, a, a critical issue with the roof or leaking or what have you. And all of those things ultimately lead to situations in which people are likely to abandon their home. So for example, someone who's elderly who wants to stay in their home may have their phone blowing up constantly with people offering to pay some amount for their home. And maybe you need to make adaptive modifications. Maybe you just lost an HVAC system or your heater. And then suddenly the fifty or $60,000 that someone is offering you over the phone seems attractive, even though it's much less, let's maybe 
than your house is worth. But that means that you maybe can take that money, lose your home, and then you're unable to transfer, um, you're unable to transfer, you know, that home to the next generation, you're not able to stay there. That starts a cycle of gentrification um, that ultimately leads to the displacement of individuals, communities, families. Um, and we wanted to arrest that cycle. We wanted to stop it from taking place. And so, and, you know, and we found out that there were, you know, we, I think, again, Rep and Amarado and I have seen this in our own neighborhoods and our own communities. But this is, this took place across the state. And we had people in from, from Pittsburgh to, uh, to Allentown testifying, you know, in, in, at, at events and at policy hearings about the fact that they saw this in their own communities. We had so much personal testimony on our websites about this bill where people talked, you know, again, in every corner of this Commonwealth about how this would allow them to stay in their homes. And if we allow people to stay in their homes and we invest in those communities, we keep housing affordable in those communities. We keep investments staying there. We keep people, we stabilize communities and we make sure that we stop, especially in, in neighborhoods, you know, like, like many ones that we know in, 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 in Philadelphia and, and, you know, Pittsburgh, I'm sure, um, you know, we don't experience the levels of gentrification that we're seeing at this moment. Thank you so much for that. And come and see representative, you know, there's like a, a long conversation about like housing that has been an ongoing topic like here in Pennsylvania. What is your hope uh, for the long-term impacts um, um, of this act? We know not one piece of legislation is going to like say this and, and make all you know housing affordable over overnight. But what are some of your long-term um, goals with this um, whole homeless repairs act? So I think specifically with the act, um, we did get 125 million dollars in a one-time investment. So what we have to do, like we have to design a program that's going to get money out the door and start fixing homes and changing people's lives. And then we're going to have to collect those stories and make sure that those people who are being positively impacted by the program are contacting their state senators and state representatives to let them know the positive impact that this program made on their lives and how they wouldn't be able to access such a high quality of life without these monies being invested in this program. Um, so, cause we're going to have to make the case for this continued, for the continuation of this program and it, for it to be funded um, across multiple sessions. So that's my hope and dream for this program is that it's, it's implementation is a success and that we continue funding. Um, but again, like you said, it's not a silver bullet. Um, housing is a human right. And we have so much work to do in the housing justice space. Um, you know, really at the state level, we are trying to work um, across government levels to make sure that we're all rowing in the same direction. And it starts with like, you know, the mayor and his transition plan, it really focused on housing and housing justice. So me as a state representative and former colleague of the mayor is saying, okay, what bills do I need to introduce and do I need to work with my colleagues so that that vision can be realized? So how do we make sure we create more affordable housing, we preserve more affordable housing, we prevent gentrification and displacement, we can infuse money in communities that have been left behind for far too long and uplift everyone. So, you know, we have, we're always thinking of different policy ideas. I know we've talked about creating a fund for the preservation of affordable housing. So there's a program called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit that builds affordable units and has been probably the only mechanism that has put affordable housing units online in our region. But what happens is they expire after 30 years. So we've seen communities um, turn over. We've seen these projects turn over and become market rate and all of these folks are evicted. So we need to be able to have a pot of money. So our nonprofits or our municipalities or our housing authorities will be able to purchase these units and keep them affordable in perpetuity so that they can actually be stabilized. Um, so, and then also thinking about housing, like in different forms, how do we encourage more projects like our community land trust we have, the City of Bridges Community Land Trust, which is kind of this 
hybrid between ownership and also like kind of supportive in some ways. How do we think about driving um, cooperative housing and resident owned communities? We need to think about, we need to really think creatively if we're gonna ensure that everyone has a safe, healthy and dignified place to call home. Thank you for that. And coming to you, Senator, come staying on the same lines. What are some of the long-term like impacts? Because one of the cool things uh, for a lot of people was going onto the website and you had like these lists uh, of kind of like ideas, ideas and ideals about being safe in home. And even though um, this is a bipartisan effort, you're, you're galvanizing a lot of people like around this issue, regardless of their political affiliations. So what are some of the long-term uh, planning that you have going forward to, you know, especially as, you know, Pennsylvania goes into, into session in the fall? Yeah, I mean, Rep and Alvarado covered a lot of the things that I think we, we you know, we hold in common in terms of wanting to stabilize and, and you know, expand the amount of, of housing that we're producing, preserving existing affordable housing. One thing, you know, one thing that is, you know, definitely part of this program and I think should be part of all of our affordable housing programs going forward is that this is also a climate bill. And that is really one of the biggest long term. I mean, in fact, a short term problem that we're facing. But um, but it's many of our emission, our greenhouse gas emissions come from our buildings. You know, they come from our houses. They come from they come from our schools. They come from a lot of you know buildings, especially in our cities. They're energy inefficient, so we end up, you know, for people in their homes, they end up spending far too much money on their utility bills, and then they, you know, that's another reason that housing is unaffordable. And so, it, you know, we need to be reducing that energy burden. One thing the Whole Home Repairs Act does is it cre it makes it easier to adapt energy efficiency efficient appliances. It may make it easier to replace out of date wiring, and then that may make it easier eventually to think about electrifying your home, to think about other projects that would make, you know, your home a more efficient home and a more green home, frankly. Um, so I think one of that's one of the things that we're thinking about. How can we, you know, how can we also just pursue those policies to make our buildings and our houses and, and you know, all of our infrastructure greener over the, you know, and less, and less of a burden on the earth, especially as they're a primary contributor to, um, to climate change. And so I think that that's something we're going to be focusing on in our office. And I think that, you know, we have a coalition to do that. One of the things that went into the whole Home Repairs Act is it wasn't, you know, you know, Rep. Namorado and I are, are, are huge advocates for affordable housing, but not everyone who came into the bill was necessarily a housing person. There were people who were interested in disability rights, people were interested in expanding the workforce, you know, or there were several labor unions that were supportive. There were people that were interested in energy efficiency, of course, um, in, in, you know, and I think all of those in institutions, individuals, people came together around this vision about housing. And I think that, you know, we need ways to get into our issues all the time that we were, were that attract broad coalitions of people. How can it be an anti-violence initiative? We know that repairing homes reduces violence on a block by 22% in a sing for a single home. And if you repair many, many homes, that starts to reduce incidents of violence on a block. So I look forward to also building coalitions that come together around a single issue, but where those coalitions, not everyone is, is, you know, is identified with the issue at stake. Thank you um, so much for that. Cause like, I think that was one of the Thing we're talking about earlier is like housing is at the intersection of just like safety and you know in in all forms and so this is something that has been really needed you know in this region you talked about weatherization we still know that lead is a huge you know issue for our homes and to our schools and coming to your representative we talk a little bit about how this would also uh help people who still are dealing with you know, the unfortunate reality that lead is in a lot of the buildings and structures um, that they frequent. Yeah, and actually, so there's a lead-free Pennsylvania initiative. There's lead-free Allegheny. That's headed by Women for a Healthy Environment, and they were a part of our coalition. And I think that's just a really important point to keep saying is that this didn't come from 
Representative Inamorato and Senator Saval's office. This is a product of a lot of community engagement. This is a product of the needs that not only individuals were sharing, but a lot of these organizations that are doing the work. Um, so we know in our county, we're gonna start testing kids for lead level. So we're about to enter a place where we're telling families that their kids have elevated levels of lead that is probably caused by their home. And we're gonna give them very few options to be able to access monies to remediate their home and make it safe, a safe and healthy place for their children. And, you know, so I think that that coupled with the passage of this bill is extremely timely when it comes to that issue and will definitely have to be a priority as we're thinking about implementing the program. Yes, thank you. And coming to you, Senator, can you talk about both of you keep talking about this, you know, this widespread uh, coalition. Can you talk a little bit about um, why it was important for you to have all these organizations galvanized about this issue, but approaching it from the places that they are experts in? Yeah, I mean, I think in part it comes from, you know, experience just experience in community organizing. And that was the background that, that led me to politics. Ultimately that, you know, you do, you do have to, you do start with where people are at. I mean, what, you know, what is the reason that this issue is important to you? What is, what are the reasons that you find yourself that this is an issue that, you know, is, is deeply in, you know, uh, that you have a profound stake in, frankly. And so organizations that, you know, had a profound stake in ensuring that it was possible for people to age grace, age gracefully in place to meet their changing physical needs in their home. That was disability organizations, but that was also uh, the, the union of home care workers or healthcare of, of nursing home workers, SEIU Healthcare Pennsylvania. You know, both of those organizations, Disability in Action and, and SEIU Healthcare found a reason to make make this bill a priority for them uh, in in pushing for this so i think that you know that's that was an important way that people really grounded themselves in the stakes of what would be what would happen if this bill passed and that meant that they were really willing to fight for it that they would come they would lobby their representatives day after day week after week they would come to harrisburg multiple times i think we had multiple days where people came from all over the commonwealth to lobby their state representatives and state senators and to speak from their own experience on why this bill would be important to them. I think that, you know, that grassroots coalition, I mean, it's just, it's just the way that I think, you know, I would, I think that each of us kind of came into office and it's, and we know that that's a way that we can win the things that we care about and that, you know, we can demonstrate that these issues are popular. They affect not, you know, not just the people in the building, not just a set of organizations or lobbyists, but hundreds, thousands of people, many of whom are willing to take day, time out of their days and come and speak to their representatives and fight for the, you know, for the issues that would, you know, would make their lives whole. So it, it, what, you know, it's just part of our ethos, I think. And, and I think it's because that it's, it's hard to say no to someone who is speaking from their experience and is, and is organizing with so many other people to, to fight just to keep their home to, to stay in their homes. Thank you uh, so much for that, that passionate um, answer. I think it's very important that, because both of you have an organizing background and that's why, you know, you're getting these, I would say major pieces of legislation done. I'm not necessarily as freshman legislators, but like as like still be like freshman legislators. So it's very, you know, inspiring like to watch like both of you. So I do want to thank you both um, for coming on the Power Hour, for giving a little bit of your Monday nights um, uh, to us. So thank you both very much. Is there anything else you would like to say um, uh, uh, before you leave us? I think if you're just interested in finding out more about the program and keeping informed, um, you can visit repinamorado.com or uh, Senator Saval's website, which I'm not sure what it is. Um, I'll let you know. Uh, but we, we send out newsletters um, when we're keeping our coalition, our local coalition informed on 
every step of this process. So, you know, if you are interested in, in finding out more, please feel free to contact our office or if you have a story to share. Um, that human element when it comes to policymaking cannot be underestimated. Definitely, yeah, we, uh, I would echo that, that um, the, the representative's website, my website, pasenatorsofall.com, uh, we have a whole home repairs portion. So senators, pasenatorsofall.com slash whole home repairs. There is a place to share your story. Um, and, you know, we will be continuing to speak to our communities and communities across the state about, um, about this legislation, because we also, like, as, as Rep. Amarato pointed out, the next step is crucial. We want to make sure that this money reaches people and it reaches people in an efficient way so that people are able to stay in their homes. And we want to get this out the door as soon as we can um, while making sure that the program is, works and works for everyone so that we can, you know, we then get it funded next year and we get it funded at a higher rate and we expand it to more people um, and also learn, you know, and, and learn what needs to be done to make the program more and more efficient each year. Um, so, you know, I would welcome everyone's feedback and input, and we're looking forward to working with everyone together to, to make this a success. Perfect. I will thank you both. I uh, hope you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. And, and that, again, is just a reflection of why it's important to get involved involved in the electoral process and electoral organizing. I know people sometimes get overwhelmed and stressed out and, and um, given to disenfranchisement, feeling that some politicians don't represent their interests, to represent their values. But I hope uh, listening to those two elected officials, it gives you some encouragement and motivation about like what can be our daily reality when we have people um, in office that represent our interests um, and represent uh, trying to find innovative ways to solve issues that impact uh, community members um, at all levels. So that was, um, again, a state center, Saval, and state representative, uh, Sarah Amaretto, joining us to talk about the whole Home Repairs Act. Um, at the very beginning, top of the hour, we had Dr. Um, M from Central um, Outreach Wellness talking about what you need to know um, to protect yourself from monkeypox. And again, we're bringing the power hour to have laid back conversations uh, to engage people, politics, and power because we believe, like Bell Hooks, the personal is political. And we always want to make sure people are staying up to date um, and informed about what's going on um, in their community. So please make sure you are subscribing to YouTube, uh, follow us online, I'm on our website. We'll put up more information and in getting you connected uh, when we make sure that you have all the information that you need to make informed decisions and learning how um, to talk to elected officials, to engage. Um, a lot of stuff is on the ballot this November 8th election. So you want to make sure you're registered to vote. Um, make sure um, that you uh, check your voter registration. Again, here in Pennsylvania, we just went through a redistricting process. And what that means uh, is that we changed a little bit of the lines, put people in different wards, trying to make sure everyone is represented within the um, Commonwealth. So if you, especially if you did not vote in the primary election or you're a new voter to Pennsylvania, um, you want to make sure or if you're a super voter and you voted by mail, you want to make sure you go back um, and look at your, your voter registration because if you vote in person in November, your polling place, your polling location may have moved. So please make sure you're going up um, and, and double checking your voter registration. A lot of things are always changing. And so we don't want anyone um, to have their votes uh, not counted this November. As a reminder, tomorrow, uh, County Council is in special session. Um, you can tune in at 5 p.m. on County Council's website. There's also ongoing organization and, and protest and court support all week long. So please, uh, you know, show up where you can. Make sure you're staying safe. And as the doctor said, please wear your mask um, if you can. Um, stay safe. Thank you so very much for tuning into this week's edition of the One Hood Power Hour. I am your host, Miracle Jones. As always, thank you so much. I hope 
tonight's episode gave you information, helped you feel engaged and inspired. Have a good night. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you.